0: Big D Entertainment in association with Dipsy Doodle Productions presents The Dave Holly Hour, brought to you by TJS Ceramic Studio, Serendipity Studio Gallery and Gifts, Chasers Food and Spirits, Excel Chiropractic, Quality Nails, Jesse Moffett Entertainment, and the Sioux Falls Arts Council. The Dave Holly Hour features Sioux Empire Arts and Entertainment Conversations. A true lover of arts, entertainment, good food and fun times, including an occasional Jack Daniels. Okay, so a few Jack Daniels. Here he is, Dave Holly.
1: Welcome, everyone. Appreciate those of you that are regular listeners, and welcome those of you catching the show for the first time. Great to have all of you on board for this, the 216th episode. While this is a free show, If you did have to pay for it, you'd get your money's worth. Later in the show, we talk with saxophonist Matt Wallace of Omaha. Now, despite that being out of what we normally refer to as the Sioux Empire, he's familiar with the area. You might be familiar with him because he's played with the Hegg Brothers and Holiday Jam and occasionally joins them for some other gigs and a great story about how getting him on the show came to be. Now, coming up in just a few minutes, young actor and director that also loves to sing, Coleman Peterson talks about Goodnight Theater and Dakota Academy Performing Arts. He's directing next month's DAPA production of Willy Wonka Jr. But first, let's pop the cork on this bubbly little show. Time to grab your favorite beverage, lift it high, and toast it to me Thursday a.k.a. Weekend Eve.
0: Hey, the weekend isn't around the corner, it's here!
1: So long, hump day and your frumpy way. We say hello to Thursdays with opening nights. The weekend is near and we can see the bright lights. Yes, Thursday, you're so hearty, we can't wait for Friday. So a day early, we start the party. Woo-hoo! Whatever you're drinking, whatever you're drinking it out of, might very well be determined by where and when you're listening. My choice, as per usual when I put the show together, a Jasper Newton, which is Jack Daniels Diet Coke with a lime. Now for you, whether it's a cup of coffee, glass of milk, bottle of water, mug of beer, cocktail, glass of wine, flute of champagne, lift it high, and toast to, oh, what's this, a pop quiz? What do a vintage leather messenger bag, a well worn rancher hat, and new rolls have in common? They've all been great finds so far in 2024. My love and I, uh, a few Saturdays back, we were uh, out and about and going to thrift shops and so forth. She was looking for a particular table, particular size and so forth, found it. Uh, but uh, as we're in there, uh, I love hats and uh, I see this. Kind of a, most people would think of it just as a cowboy hat, but it's not quite full brimmed that way. It's a little closer to what I call a rancher hat. It fit perfectly and you know, on sale for like 10 bucks, and where normally that would have been even on an online discount thing, probably 50. So, good deal, right? Yes, uh, and then you know, sorting through all the uh, vintage albums and so forth and find one. That was Lou Rawls Live. Finally had the opportunity to listen to that this morning and absolutely loved it and still in pretty good shape. The record was, but what was in great shape was the inside sleeve of the album. And it was from Capitol Records and all of their artists for 1966. Big, big names and just so cool to take a look at that and let the mind wander back many years. So, here we are. I've got the hat on my head. I've got albums in my hand and a few other things for my love because she's got that table. And we go to the counter and as we're passing the counter, my love notices something as I had glanced at it and she didn't know. She says, I can't believe you walked past it. And I said, that's because I have my hands full. I went back over to it. It is this light brown, tannish colored messenger bag, vintage in great shape now we just priced one the other day in a leather shop that's very much like it that would be seven hundred and ninety five dollars we stole that thing for forty stole so much that once we had it rung up had it in my hands we ran out to the car to make sure that they didn't come back after us and say hey you know what that thing might be worth a little bit more so here we go Raise those glasses, raise them high, and cheers to great finds. Speaking of cheers, which just happens to rhyme with beers, say cheers with a beer or your favorite cocktail at Chasers, West 12th Street, Ellis Road. Make sure you grab some food while you're at it and join me on Monday nights for Dave Hollyhour Trivia starting at 7. This coming Monday's trivia theme will be Sweethearts Trivia because Valentine's Day is coming up Wednesday. All right, what over the past week made Dave laugh, guffaw, chuckle, chortle, giggle, smile, or maybe even shed a tear of joy. Good night, theater's production of Legendary Adventure. Yet another Luke Tatchy original. Great show, as always. Fun characters made even more fun by the cast. They even looked like they were having a good time up there, because they always are. (laughs) <laughs> Plus, I always enjoy the camaraderie of the GNT staff that's before and after the show. And getting something at the merch table and so forth is always a good time. Uh, while we have yet to win one of their drawings, our friend Devin Heish did get the prize before the show started. Way to go, Devin. Congrats. But in the meantime, congratulations to uh, Goodnight Theater Collective for once again putting on just an outstanding show later in this show we talk about the world of jazz with saxophonist matt wallace coming up next actor and director coleman peterson on the dave holly hour introducing the latest art movement that's sure to capture your heart love love the most profound and universal language comes alive in a captivating new art exhibit that promises to stir your heart and soul Join us for a look of love, an extraordinary collection that explores the myriad facets of this timeless emotion. Love brings together a curated selection of artists who have poured their hearts into capturing the essence of love in its purest and most diverse forms. From intimate moments that tug at your heartstrings to grand gestures that leave you breathless, each piece tells a story that transcends words. Love is not just an exhibit. It's a journey through the beauty, passion, and complexity that love inspires. Immerse yourself in a world where love takes shape in vibrant artwork. This is an invitation to celebrate love, art, and the shared human experience. Join us at Serendipity Studio through the month of February to experience the exhibit where the power of love meets the magic of art. Love awaits you. And we can't wait to share this unforgettable experience with you at Serendipity Studio Gallery and Gifts on the second floor of the Shriver Building, downtown Sioux
2: Falls. Check out the new Ceramics Studio in Sioux Falls. Conveniently located off Kiwanis Avenue on 5th Street. TJS Ceramics, inside Oscars mini storage. We have thousands of classic vintage ceramic mold items and several new items too. TJS Ceramics offers classes, special open studio nights, and completed ready to purchase items bisque, studio time, or painting parties are available. Visit TJS Ceramics Studio in person today, or email tjsceramics at gmail.com for more details.
1: Ladies, when it's time to give your nails some love, get that extra special treatment from Quality Nails on South Minnesota Avenue in Sioux Falls. Manicures and pedicures that look great and make you feel fantastic. Zaya and tony provide professional care for your hands and feet whether you just want the basics or an extra special look with added flair oh and guys it's okay to treat yourself too quality nails call for an appointment 605-334-1463 it's
3: the podcast that creatives in the sioux empire listen to so they can learn more about other creatives
2: it's the dave holly hour
1: Welcome back everybody. Just say it along with me now. You've got it down. You listen on a weekly basis. I know you're there saying at the same time, it's always a pleasure to talk Sioux Empire Arts and Entertainment and always a pleasure to have a new guest on. Been on the radar for a while because I've seen him for a few years and a number of things and uh, finally just had the chance to say, hey, Coleman Peterson. What you doing next week? You want to be on the podcast? And he says, oh, perfect timing because I'm going to be directing as well. Welcome. I'm so,
2: so thrilled. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> finally, I've made it.
1: <laughs> yes, the sign that you've made it. You're on mm-hmm. the Dave Holly.
2: <laughs> it's tough. It's a, it's a big town, and you sit here well, and you watch all of your friends get picked to be on the show.
1: Yeah, well, you, you, here's the thing. When I started the show four and a half, well, just over four years ago, um, I wrote down a list of over 50 names mm-hmm. that I was going to talk to. And then you start going to things and getting involved and right. so and forth. It only and you, grows exponentially, i right. sure, yeah. There are people from that original list I've never talked mm-hmm. to. Uh, and then in the meantime, like beginning of the year, I had at least 30 people on the list. And uh, then it's like, oh, yeah, gosh, I was supposed to come on sometime. Oh, well, let's do that. So then I still have, you know, 30 people. Mm-hmm. And I usually have two on per week. So if nothing else, I've got more than a fourth of the year ready. Oh, nice. Yeah. Back up plans. So we, we've got ago. that. Yeah. All right. So talk about Coleman Peterson becoming an actor and a director.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, How
1: did it all start? What was it uh, in, in uh, like, grade school or anything?
2: Uh-huh. How did um, it come? Yeah, it kind of began. I mean, I've always been artistic, putting on my own little versions of shows and performances from probably the moment that I could walk and talk. Um, There's photo and video evidence of all of that, as I'm sure there are with many who are in this field and like to do this stuff, so... Um, I think my first official um, entry point into this world was like through some church productions playing, of course, the starring role of Jonah in the tale of Jonah and the whale being (laughs) swallowed. Anyway, um, so church productions kind of like gave my parents an idea like, oh, this might be his thing, like maybe exploring some other options. We were from T. That's where I grew up. And so there wasn't a whole lot of um, artistic opportunity Mm -hmm. there, especially when it was just kind of this baby town. Now, of course, it's blossomed into this monster that's ready to yeah uh, to kind of take over some areas but um started coming to Sioux Falls because of the DAPA program and I um kind of was starting DAPA just as it was kind of finding its footing and Mm -hmm. beginning and at the beginning of all the youth productions and stuff so I really am a child of DAPA and i think it really it's pretty obvious when you look at the kinds of things that I like to do and the the way that I'm naturally gravitating sorts or to sorts of different styles of creating things and stuff. It's just I can see all of my DAPA teachers' work just coming through me and pouring out of me. So
1: And it has been so great to watch how DAPA has grown. You know, oh. I know uh, what was it uh, almost 20 years ago mm-hmm. i was uh one of the directors for a couple of years uh, i think you have talked about this with, with yeah. sarah crosby uh, with exactly mm-hmm. sarah was the one that uh, got me involved in it and helped out with the plays for living for a couple of years and you know there was that there was uh you know the uh, orchestra at the time mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this thing just takes off, right. and it's become big productions. Yeah, and, and
2: I mean, it speaks to just how necessary of a role that DAP is fulfilling in the right. community. I mean, there are so many kids who want to be a part of that, and... Um, so many audience members who want to come back and see that type of thing so yeah i'm i'm so glad that dapa has been able to blossom and and had a home here in town and
1: and so many local students yes. of dapa yeah. of usf of augie mm-hmm. of the high schools that want to stick around and right. be involved yes, as yes, well totally. you know, because when sarah came to town uh her whole point was the fact that there just weren't opportunities mm-hmm. she said you know kids in sioux falls are as talented as just kids, as talented and as kids in yeah los angeles Chicago, if you know sarah you've or, heard or, this yes. oh yes yeah. i have many times, i may have been one of the first to hear it yeah uh and uh so she talks about that and you can see it now and mm-hmm. you can see that totally. people stay around and get to enjoy being involved in the art right. and so and go on
2: to do other cool things and exactly trails yeah, yeah artistically.
1: and they don't necessarily have to go after yeah. college and, yeah there's you know, no to obligation right.
2: to, which i think is the most freeing yeah. part is that dapa teaches you that you can create art wherever you are you don't have to to go and you know make new opportunities for yourself, they're there, and you can live your own little Sioux Falls life yep. as much as you like it, and get to do those awesome things at the same time. So, all right.
1: So, what was the first role that you really went, wow? I'm an actor, I've I've got a lot of lines, I've, oh, I've, I have I really have to yeah. worry about the blocking. And. <laughs> and
2: I know, I know exactly which one too it is. Um, they were doing a production of the best Christmas pageant ever, I think my principal right. title. And um, there was a, I of course didn't know the show at all, I was probably in fourth grade, um, based on a book that I hadn't read. Um, and I think I actually, I missed the call where they told you, what part you were going to be playing and so my dad had to like email and say hey dad like is there a spot for my son he came on audition we haven't heard anything and then showed up and i actually had one of the the larger roles in the show um and my whole family was kind of surprised so i remember maybe them saying oh i had no idea your part was that big um maybe more than the actual Uh action of what it was like to go through that experience but i mean since that moment how could i not be hooked Um, And even before that, I mean, the theater camps and stuff, I think were enough to Mm -hmm. entice me to want to come back and do this more, more, more. The role I ended up with never really mattered and was what was calling me. I think it was just being there and being a part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And,
1: uh, you know, we talk about so often the theater family and uh, that, you know, each time someone's in a production, they go, oh, well, everybody in there was just like a family. And then people keep going into other productions and other people that weren't in the same mm-hmm. production they were prior. And so that family continues to expand. Yeah. Uh, how many Christmas gifts you got to give out now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of friends, but you know, I feel like the, the good thing about theater people is that we respect that you True. Know, your theater life isn't your whole life. And that's where you go to get your yeah. artistic expression out of the way. And we all just happen to like that together. And that doesn't mean that you have to live your whole life together and take all of those friendships 100 percent seriously i mean that's what they're there for to be kind of an escape so um, i guess that's kind of the way that i look at it of course i do have my best buddies but
1: right yeah no i i do know that one of them would be uh casey Schultz.
2: oh she yeah she would freak out if i didn't even mention her i love you casey yes. wherever you are listening yep. i love you
1: in fact uh, wasn't it a project that the two of you had uh, a uh, play that had to be written.
2: Oh, yes, it was. Yes, I do Did recall. yeah.
1: Well, it's one of the few things at age 61 that I can remember nice. talking to Casey, because how can you not remember talking to Casey Schultz? Oh, I know. Yeah. There's
2: a lot of conversations I wish I could forget Vi- with Casey, yeah.
1: <laughs> Vibrant. Just, oh, uh, completely. Uh, absolutely yes. love mm-hmm. watching her on stage, chatting with her. And yeah, she just, is the
2: yin to my yang.
1: Yeah, for sure. she's just so great to be around. Mm-hmm. What do you like being on stage that uh, gets you motivated oh. is there a certain something that happens in a production where you go yeah okay and we're going forward <laughs>
2: I, I mean, I hate to say this because it's so vain, but the thing that we all crave is that moment in the spotlight where there are eyes on you and you are in control. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just the control freak in me that, that loves that moment. <laughs> but um, when I was younger, I would always speed, speed through things so fast and not leave any time to kind of linger in the art I was creating and um, kind of being out of high school and kind of looking at it through a more professional lens and going to college and um, I don't know, kind of studying the the art of the silences or the way that you can kind of control the time in the room has been really, really fun for me. I think especially the way it kind of ties into music, too. I also have a music right. major and studied music in college, so... I think I like the way that we can kind of create music with the way that we speak. And I mean, the whole audience is just hanging on to what you say. So those are the moments that I really live for and look forward to in a show.
1: Yeah, because I I know it is a a long stretch from uh, the time you audition until you get up on stage in front of people and so forth, you know, six Mm -hmm. weeks minimum, probably in in most cases. Uh, And when you get there, then it's like, okay, everything we've uh, done, Yeah. now we have to sit there and wait for audience reaction, mm-hmm. uh, especially comedies. And, yeah, you know, and
2: uh, it all changes. The physiology of how your body works in those moments. I mean, there's so much adrenaline going through you. I say it so many times, I can practice and practice and practice as much as you want, but nothing will ever prepare you for what that feeling is as soon as you have people in the room looking at you and and waiting to see what you've been working on.
1: Do you have a routine that helps you memorize your lines?
2: Oh, I... I actually took a break from like being on stage and I didn't really know it, but I was doing a lot of tech work behind the scenes mm-hmm. and a lot of directing and stuff. So um, when it finally came back to it for me to have lines to learn again, I was like, oh my God, I think I kind of I <laughs> forgot how to do all of this. But um, I have some awesome friends who live nearby me. Um, I've got a, a friend who has lived with me for three years in college and now she lives right next door. So She's been my go-to. Um, hi, Rachel. Um, to go and hang out with. And, I mean, she doesn't really need an excuse to hang out. She's always down for whatever. So I say, can we learn some lines tonight? And I make her be picky, just as picky as I would be to myself. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's nice to have someone to sit down with and to um, just practice saying out loud and to get called on it when you're making your mistakes too. So.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And and learn from it. Yep. Uh, and so in that case, uh let's talk about uh, Goodnight Theater. Uh because you've been in many Goodnight mm-hmm. Theater productions and uh you do a phenomenal job first oh, of all. Thank you. Uh love to see you on stage as well. Um, uh, well, there's not many people from Goodnight Theater that I don't say <laughs> <Right>. great <laughs> to see you on stage
2: you've got a pretty they, they, solid uh, group yeah you up.
1: know a pretty good stable of actors mm-hmm. that are involved in that uh but i, I think that uh, i one of the things i love is first of all seeing youth uh involved immediately when they've become adults mm-hmm. you know that they moved on and uh here we are now right. and they're willing and able and to see the movement that you all have at such a
2: young age damn it. Oh.
1: <laughs> I, I was never a,
2: with our bodies
1: I, I was never a big uh, you know i shouldn't say wasn't a very big dance person i love dance mm-hmm. i think it's very very awesome but uh, you know, being a large person, never really did much. Sure. Uh, so, and I the setting I is get... kind of tricky. You know, there's yes. not, it's not always the right setting right. to have dancing. Yeah. Uh, you know, to see you on stage, uh, to see Simon Floss on stage. Oh, he can get up. Yeah. When it comes to dance moves, you got it. <laughs> and uh, where did that fall into place for you?
2: Oh, the dancing? Yeah. I, I have no formal dance training, but I. Love to move and groove. And I don't I don't know, really, I feel like it's kind of a recent development. Uh I um, really, really love just getting to do all the movement and even in the blocking and kind of throughout the show, the pattern of the movement is a really exciting part to me. Oh, I had something fun that I was going to say, but I don't, whatever. It must not have been that good. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure it it ended well. But um, I'm also, I played percussion all growing up. So I've always been kind of rhythmic and I love to kind of feel the groove. And um, I mean, I was the kid in choir who was like getting really into like the scoops and the claps. And, you know, I was that kid. Where everybody
1: else was very stoic. Yes. Yeah. I'm
2: sure they were busy being cool and I was busy being artistic. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I've always loved to kind of move and groove. And um, I guess that just kind of naturally led me to using my whole body when i'm performing
1: all right you've been on stage with a ton of people Mm -hmm. and you've uh, obviously worked under uh, a handful of directors at least what do you like about the ensemble and the directors and how they get everybody together
2: yeah um i just had an awesome experience with spring awakening working under bob wendland who was one of my dapper directors growing Mm -hmm. up and i've always just adored working under him he has such an awesome balance of structure which actors need so so much and i think my education training too has really revealed that too so now i'm kind of informed in that way when i direct things too Um, but having the structure and then he's also got such a wildly creative brain and he marries the two of them so well that it's just like i trust him fully so that's always what I look for in a director. And he's like my number one example of that. There just has never been a situation where I haven't trusted his guidance yeah. and, and known that he's going to turn something out with us. It's hard to see the full picture and he's definitely got some taste. So when you can trust their taste and um, their leadership is awesome, it makes for a really, really great experience. So um, that's one of the reasons that I love Spring Awakening. And then the other side of um, of that coin would be working with all those people who were just as dedicated and kind of like you said, a lot of young people who like, we don't always have a spot after college. And with Spring Awakening, it felt like we were really being valued and given an opportunity to kind of shine and show what we can do. So um, that was fun to be able to connect with all those people who I had lots in common with. And who are also there with kind of a little bit of an undertone of, like, something to prove to the community, you know, ready to work and ready to do the thing that we're, like, ready and rearing to go with. Um, So, yeah, that experience was really, really great and probably encapsulates a lot of that question you were.
1: All right. So now that you are a director, Mm -hmm. do you take things directly from like a Bob Wendland or is it a kind of a culmination of everything that you've liked from each
2: question and
1: then make it Coleman?
2: Yeah. Um, So I was just actually talking about this with my DAPA students today. Um, We were doing this workshop where we're all moving around in our own unique way. And I told them, feel free to like let the people next to you kind of inspire what your movement shifts into stick with it for a little bit and then take away the parts that really sit nicely with you or that you liked about it and I think that's totally what I do all the time I mean art is all recycled let's just be honest we don't need to always make something original though that's the goal your take is what's original so I totally rip off Bob and Molly and all my DAPA directors every single time I work on a show Rebecca is another one that I'll be like oops yep I'm taking that thank you for that idea Um, and then you've got to kind of twist it and adapt it and make it work to what you're working towards so um, yeah, I'm the the biggest culprit. If you're gonna get someone in trouble for doing that, then you might as well throw me in jail because I am a an idea stealer Guilty-ass and yep, an embellisher. And that's I mean that's how we make things work. That's yeah. how we get things to happen. And that's how you use your resources to really um, maximize what you're able to do. So.
1: All right. So you are directing. Wonka Jr. Yes,
2: Willy Wonka oh. Junior. Official title. Yeah. Roll dolls, I, Willy Wonka Junior. Yeah.
1: Uh because I am a huge Wonka fan. Oh, me too. Oh my. If if I would have been young enough or able-bodied enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. i would love to have played wonka oh my goodness someday
2: someday it's still in the cards well you never know maybe
1: yeah well you know uh, they just came out with wonka Mm -hmm. uh, and have not seen it oh loved
2: it oh i've heard it's fantastic there are
1: great little drops of things that Uh you go that's where that came Mm -hmm. from and so forth so maybe they'll do like a grandpa wonka Instead if not, of, you can uh, write it. Willy Wonka
2: Junior. It can be Willy Wonka Senior. Yeah, citizen. the first. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're a Wonka fan, and you get to direct this with DAPA. Oh, yes, what a dream. Oh, how many kids involved?
2: Fifty-seven, I think. Wow, or to sixty. Yeah, and the DAPA shows are always like that's yeah, an added are. challenge yep. because you're you're figuring into the equation how are you going to involve as many kids as possible who want this opportunity and are ready to take it and are capable you know it's not like okay we got to scrape the bottom of the barrel and get this many kids Mm -hmm. together so you know it's not that it's just there are so there's so much need and so much of a desire to want to be a part of it so we really try our best to make sure that there's a spot for everyone
1: but by the same token with dapa now so much talent
2: oh yes i mean it's almost the easiest thing ever to say sure we'll take you all yeah we'd love to have you they're all capable
1: (laughs) so when will it take place
2: um the show opens march 7th and runs through the Tenth.
1: All right. Uh, yep. Is it uh, at the Orpheum? At the Orpheum. Yeah, at the Theater. Orpheum. Yep. Excellent. we we'll new back home sweet home. Yeah, we'll be back in uh, row M, seats one and two right in front of the tech. <laughs> That's where we like to be. So nice. what are the challenges about uh, directing this?
2: Oh, well, I made a lot of challenges for myself. Um, Willy Wonka Jr. was actually one of the shows that I did growing up in Tampa, mm-hmm. So it was kind of a full circle moment. And that show had been my favorite for a long time. It was Bob Wenland and Molly Wilson working on the show together, Dream Team. And um, there were so many awesome kids in it who i just like marveled at their talent at that age and was like this is so cool that i get to be a part of this group and i still talk to many of them who are in that cast with me and for years that would have been the show that i said oh yep that was my favorite Dapa show i had done with willy wonka i played grandpa joe hey there's a spot for you dave there we go yeah, okay we found it everyone um any who's it's it comes around and apparently i told to debbie when she offered this spot up to me that i wasn't really interested which i can't even believe looking back now because ever since i confirmed that i knew exactly how i wanted to twist this um So, yes, the show has a twist, and I'll dive into more of that. Did you know that they were actually going to do Willy Wonka um, with Dappa during the COVID year in 2020? They had it all cast and they were rehearsing, all the choreo videos were done. Yes, and it got canceled. So I felt like, how can I? freshen this up or how can I make it something. I I, I have a
1: different pronunciation of the pandemic. I call it the pandemic. (laughs) Exactly.
2: I mean, hey, there were a lot of things that it ruined, but there were a lot of really awesome things that came out of it too. So um yeah. Anywho, um so now I have this fresh new idea for Willie Wonka. Instead of doing it how it's been done in the past, Mm -hmm. we are going to do it so that all of our DABA actors are playing Oompa Loompa actors in the jungles of Loompa Land where they right. are living and creating art and they're kind of retelling the story of Willy Wonka as like a cultural tale that is like being passed oh, down to the next generations folklore. of oompa loompas yes exactly um which has loompa been loompa yes yes <laughs> you you see my vision dave um but discovering kind of what that world is going to look like and feel like and sound like has been so much fun i've got the best team in the world i could not have asked for better um dapa staff to be along for this mm-hmm. ride and we've got so many so super fantastic actors, um, uh, being a part of it, and they're—I just know they're going to bring it to life, and it's going to be super, super, super special. And you'll probably never see a version of Willy Wonka like this ever again. So you're going to want to drop by and see it. I keep definitely, to everyone,
1: yeah. yeah. Now uh, choreography,
2: Lisa Conlin. Oh, Lisa, yes, who I just worked with in Spring Awakening, and I—I I honestly feel like maybe she unlocked like some of what I want this movement to look mm-hmm. like through that experience because I've actually been asking her to do a lot of the same things that she did with us as a cast to kind of get us ready to move and work as an ensemble and isolate different parts of your body because of course the choreo has to be weird and obscure and oompa loompa and alien and interesting so yeah we've had a lot of fun working on the choreo together
1: yeah she's a a great lady oh yeah i mean you trust her completely she's
2: so interesting you hang on her every word Uh, yeah she could run that room and create the most insane dance you've ever seen and everyone would have a blast doing it
1: so. that's for sure alrighty so then what's going to be beyond this what's uh, oh. uh beyond that you, yep. you auditioning for anything you've been casting anything well i'm what's... looking
2: forward to the next season of good night i'm hoping mm-hmm. to be a part of that again um right after this i'll go and uh, be a part of sweeney todd which they're actually opening up or they're uh overlapping a little bit right um i'll be in the ensemble for that one so i'm excited to sing some Cool Sondheim choral music (laughs) under um, Jane Rood's leadership, who I'm also working with on Willy Wonka. So I'm getting a lot of Jane time. She's super awesome. Um, And then after Sweeney, I'm off for the season. I'll go back and direct some DAPA things in the summer. because The summer camps are when I first started DAPA and I interned with them during a summer. So I have a lot of heartfelt. Yes, yes. A lot of connections to teaching with them in the summer. So I'll teach and direct a couple of camps and classes with them. And then my years opened up, so I'm looking, I guess, for whatever's next, and I don't have any super huge goals down the line, but I'm just going to see what pops up and jump at the opportunities if I so feel.
1: All right. You are a third grade teacher. Mm -hmm. You've got a music background as well, a music degree. What do you bring to the classroom musically, theatrically, Oh. and then vice (laughs) versa? What does the classroom teach you? When you get up on stage. Oh, what a great question. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I get in one great question per interview (laughs) and we're toward the end, so I had to nail it.
2: Perfect. Um, Yeah, I mean, the class is very musical. I don't even really think I notice how musical I make them be, but we have songs and rhymes and chants for pretty much anything I want them to memorize. Um, We have, I mean, L-A-U-G-H, L-A-U-G-H. Oh, boy, I love to laugh. They're learning how to spell laugh and they're singing. Um, I have tons of little... I have this little tiny glockenspiel that I grew up playing at my grandma's house and she gave it to me. So now, of course, it's in my room and I have (laughs) different little codes and tunes Uh that correlate to different parts of their day. So they know like what supplies they'll need to bring to the carpets when just by kind of ear training them. I mean, isn't that what they did to dogs? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Psychology. Yeah. Um, Pavlov's in your classroom. Totally. So tons of music. The whole classroom is theater themed. I've got red curtains all over the place and. String lights and stuff, and we say spotlight to get um, attention on us, which I actually stole from Dappa. Thank you, Bob and Molly. <laughs> um, so yeah, tons of music and theater in the in my room specifically, and then the things that they teach me, I think kind of like what we were saying how how much structure is important because when I'm a part of something, I want a leader who's got the details figured out and can tell me what my job is. Otherwise, people are uncomfortable and they don't know what to do. So. Um, The structure of the classroom and the the structure that they crave and need, um, I think informs a lot of the way that I direct or the way that I respond to a director when I'm doing theater. Um, But that's, of course, just one of the many elements and the many lessons they teach me daily. I think the most exciting part of my job that I always talk about is just how entertaining it is and how random and funny and silly the day is and how flexible everyone has to be. So Um, That's been another fun element to discover in my past three years as an educator. So,
1: Ultimate play, musical production that you would like to be in. Ultimate role.
2: Nice. Well, I was actually thinking about this on the way over because many people have stumped me with this question before. And then I feel like, oh, am I really not a theater kid if I don't have a dream role? The answer is, hasn't been written yet. We're writing it. We are going to get it written. I've got some new projects coming down the pipeline and... I'm excited to create some new things, and I mean, that's what's exciting. I mean, that everyone looks forward to that in the goodnight season is what's the original show going to be? True. Yeah, so. So
1: are you writing as well?
2: I, I would love to someday. Oh, yeah.
1: fantastic. Yeah. We look forward to that then, yeah. too. All right. Uh, final two questions. Okay. If you've listened, you know what they are. Mm-hmm. And how you answer question number one determines whether the second one has All to right, be bring asked. Right, baby. When you're not part of the arts and entertainment scene, what do you like to be entertained by?
2: Oh, I entertain myself in so many different ways. Um, number one, just dancing around my apartment—that's mm-hmm. um, enough artistic entertainment for me. Um, but I, of course, indulge in so many other things. I'm a huge fan of Drag Race, so me and Casey come over and um, watch Drag Race every week when it's on, <laughs> and um, it's so exciting to just see to see how creative they are and how entertaining and how polished those artists can be who are on that show so that's super fun i love to be entertained by that i'm also entertained by choral music i mm-hmm. like to dabble i'm actually a published choral composer um i went to serious yes yes i um Janice Gilbert was my choir teacher in high school, who interestingly enough was also Bob Wendland's teacher in high school. So (laughs) um, thanks for that one, Bob. Um, So I got a really great relationship with her. We wrote a musical my senior year together, Puberty the Musical. You can look it up. Um, So had tons of fun kind of learning the world of composition and experimenting with her. And through college and my um, wonderful voice instructors and stuff kind of led to some choral music. So Um, i have some choral projects that i work on here and there Mm -hmm. it's not my full-time thing and i don't know if it ever could be but i love getting to do stuff like that and creating new music and writing stuff like that dinking around on my keyboard and my computer i'm uh, making a whole bunch of like jungle drum tracks to go along with willy wonka Uh so i mean there are thousands of things that i entertain myself with i don't know if i could sit there and not do anything
1: all right any other hobbies
2: then any other non-artistic hobbies non-artistic yeah. i feel like that's a little bit of an unfair um well typically thing to put on me i love uh, being artistic yeah well typically
1: what happens is we don't have to ask the second one because it was answered right as part right. of that or all the artistic and entertainment things mm-hmm. mean no time for hobbies right yeah. and maybe
2: that's ultimately what it leads to but i think i mean how can you be an artist and not let the mundane things become artistic to you i mean there's art in everything it just kind of depends on how you look at it and how you're going to spin it personally and if you've got an artist's soul how can you just sit there and do something that isn't art
1: I need to start writing down quotes like that. It's fantastic.
2: I do a lot of teaching and explaining yes. to kids who are learning who are learning the art, so you have to make it important. You have to highlight what makes it so special. Actor director
1: Coleman Peterson, thank you so much. No, thank you Appreciate you, for you being me. on the so, show. So and we'll be back with more of the Dave Holly Hour in just a moment.
2: Hooray. Comedy magician and hypnotist Jesse Moffitt's right.
0: m-o-f-f-i-t-t or call 605-929-0964
3: the dave holly
1: hour like eavesdropping on a great conversation between two very interesting people welcome back everybody you know what i say but we have to change it up a little bit yes i always start off with it's always a pleasure to talk sue empire Arts and entertainment, and great to have returning guests. Great to have new guests. Well, it's a new guest and a little bit out of the Sioux Empire, but he is familiar with playing in Sioux Falls. You may have seen him along with the Heg Brothers at a few different things, most especially the uh, Holiday Jam Christmas concert. He's that saxophonist that you go in the background and go, man, that guy is really good. And his name happens to be <laughs> Matt Wallace. How are you, Matt? Hi, David. How you doing today? Uh, if I were any better, I'd be twins.
3: Right. There yeah. you go. Well, uh,
1: I- you know, it, it's a beautiful day here in Sioux Falls. We were talking down in Omaha is where you uh, abode. And,
3: That's
1: right. Uh, so we're already at 53 degrees in sunshine today, and you said you were out for a walk.
3: Yeah, it was nice. A little bit of sun, no wind, no snow, no ice. So
1: Good for you. Good for you. You know, it was a a pleasure to see you uh, over the weekend. You know, it was just kind of one of those ironic uh, twists of fate that uh, my love and I decided, I think on Tuesday, you know what, we haven't been to Omaha in a while. Let's go down there. And it's like, yeah, man, they always got great music. So then I start looking up. Uh, everything about, you know, the jazz places that we've gone to. And sure. the jazz club is closed. The Jewel is closed.
3: Yeah, And it's like,
1: man. So then we just figure, oh, yeah, well, we're still going to go down there. And then, you know, whatever happens, we'll just, I'm sure we'll find some place that has some music. So uh, we're down there and I uh, figure, you know what? I'm just going to text Matt and, uh, you know, see if he's playing anywhere or if he knows of any good music for the weekend and so i do so and he sends back this text it's a poster uh it's the hagg brothers playing just a block away from our hotel (laughs) uh you enjoy yourself up on stage there's no doubt about it um if people read your resume they would have to be incredibly impressed uh you've traveled to over 70 different countries you were touring with maynard ferguson uh, for many years what has all of the experience meant to you as a musician
3: well you know people always ask me just once they realize how many places i've been what's your favorite country and i always answer the same way that uh, they got it right in the wizard of oz there's no place like right home. home yeah <laughs> um but uh i i really enjoyed uh, japan a lot india a lot um, mm-hmm was always pretty careful in India, you know, didn't, didn't drink, uh, the only thing, the cleanest glass in India is the bottle of beer that you're about to drink. Ah. Uh, so no ice cubes, couldn't eat really? salad because they'd washed the lettuce oh, and tap water. Right. The one that was really hard for me was, uh, I let water in my mouth in the shower mm. and I really had to go out of my way not to do that right. while I was there, but. But overall, the the spirituality of of that country and everything that's going on there, it's it's pretty amazing. We also really liked uh, the whole Pacific Rim. We -hmm. would start January tours in Australia or New Zealand, uh, and at the very worst, the Florida Keys. So that was always uh, a nice time of year to be from Nebraska and be someplace Uh where it was summer, you know. (laughs) At what age did you start doing that? Well, I... uh, Because you're an Omaha native, right? Yeah, I actually, I was born in Madison, Wisconsin, so I'm really kind of a cheesehead by birth, Uh huh. and kind of uh, went back and forth between Milwaukee and Omaha, although all my schooling was in Omaha. Uh, I got a political science degree from the University of Nebraska where I was the student body president and also on the Board of Regents for a year. And I graduated in December of 85 and then opened uh, a show in Omaha, two shows in Omaha for Maynard uh, on his birthday uh, in early May of 87. And the saxophonist that was on the band at the time said he was thinking about getting off in December because he'd been out for about five years and it was about time for he and his wife to start uh, having a family. And so I was thinking, well, that's, you know, I've got plenty of time to get a tape together and work on some things. And I got a call three days later, send the tape now. And uh, by the beginning of June, I was, I was on Maynard's band. So it was literally a month. less than a month from opening form to to getting on the band. And that band was the uh, high voltage band. So it was just me and Maynard and a five piece rhythm section with, percussion and guitar along with a, a regular jazz trio. And then the the first record I made with him was High Voltage 2 mm-hmm. of which uh, I got a, a tune called Omaha on that, which was kind of the hit on the record. And, and we did then at some point uh, we started doing summer tours with a big with kind of a big band. It would be four trumpets, two bones, four saxes, and then a trio and Maynard and eventually the touring act kind of out of that became three trumpets, a trombone, two saxophones, the trio and Maynard. So it uh, it was always fun. Lots of guys from North Texas State, Miami and Eastman and Berkeley and and a lot of the, the great conservatories uh, around the nation. A really good group of guys. You know, I heard Maynard, if I heard him say once, I heard him say a million times, I'd rather have a a good player with a great attitude than a great player with a bad attitude. Uh Yeah. And he was such a positive force all the time. He really attracted those kind of guys. And also because guys got on the band when they were young, they also didn't have bad habits or, you know, a dim view of the world. Uh, At one point, the rhythm section, uh, the bass player was 17, the piano player, 18 and the drummer, (laughs) 19. So, I mean, sometimes they were extremely young. The bass player actually was playing in the one o'clock at North Texas, but he skipped high school and uh, was playing in the, in the one <laughs> o'clock as like a sixteen-year-old. Wow! You know, barely barely was able to drive, and he was on the greatest college <laughs> jazz band on the planet. You know, uh, a really good guy named Nathan Berg. He's actually he teaches uh, in New Zealand now at at a conservatory there, and. I talked to him about well, six weeks ago, maybe, and everything's going well for him. And so, lots of long-lasting relationships and friendships, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of the guys. Still get to play with a lot of them. Um, you know, many of them have gone on to do really big things. Uh, Tim Reese, my first my first gig with Maynard in Europe was the Berlin Jazz Festival. And the TV audience of 12 Countries Live, I think, was 40 million people. And it was basically the high-voltage band, but we added three horn players, one of which was Tim Reese, who 10 years later was on the Rolling Stones. Has been ever since, like, 99 or whatever. And I talked to him some when Charlie Watts died. His favorite thing was to play the organ, because when he played organ, he faced Charlie. When he played, when he played saxophone, he faced the audience. It's mm-hmm. just the way that the setup was. Right. Uh, you know, Carl Fisher's out there playing trumpet. with was Billy Joel. You know, those are just a couple that come to mind. But still, really great guys. I, you know, and I, I was telling somebody the other day that one of the things about the, this group of guys was, you know, except for the super super young ones, they were all college educated. So they all pretty much had a good head on their shoulders and were kind of squared away. And so that band never had any kind of issues with attitudes or drugs or drinking or, or any of the kind of pratfalls. Uh, and so it just made the whole thing super enjoyable. You know, you're getting paid to see right. the world. And you're playing with this incredible maestro and loving the music you're playing. And uh, I ended up doing 10 records with him, seven under his name. Two were uh, Stan Kenton alumni records. And then one was a compilation for Concord, uh, Concord Christmas thing. Um, did Arsenio Hall in 89. Uh, in the fifth week, he'd gone number one, like two weeks before that he was number one on late nights. So that was exciting. Did makeup with Morgan Fairchild who was on the show. And if you Look up the video while Maynard and I are playing. You can see her silhouette on the couch behind us. Uh, and Randy Mantra Man Savage was uh, <laughs> had the dressing room right next door to mine, and he'd just become the world champion, and uh, he was super awesome, really fun. I really enjoyed hanging out with him, and and so Maynard kind of provided lots of experiences for me that I never would have had. Clearly, right. Uh, in any other lifetime so now
1: obvi- obviously you've got the chops to have been where you were but was there a point especially early on where you just kind of said how would I get here
3: well you know it was it was a fairly natural and kind of organic uh-huh. progression I really uh the last summer before I graduated. I really kind of buckled down really for the first time in my life and really went at chord, chord scale relationships hard. And I was also studying classical flute at the time, and those things ended up being kind of paramount in helping me get the gig because I also sing, and he wanted a, a singing woodwind player who could double on a bunch of stuff because it was just me and him. Mm-hmm. So he'd play trumpet and flugel and the firebird occasionally or super bone. So, you know, I'd go back and forth between with those soprano, tenor, flute, sing. And then eventually uh, we played in Japan a lot. So I, I got an endorsement deal with Akai and started playing uh, the electronic wind instrument, um, which is a pretty cool thing. The EWI, right? Yeah, the EWI. Yeah. They also made one for trumpet called the EVI. Uh, <laughs> Maynard and I kind of called it the bug sprayer because that's <laughs> sort of what it looked like. It was one of those old-fashioned bug sprayers, and and even though the EWI was difficult for saxophone players, the EVI was really hard for trumpet players. You know, because their their lips and their chops weren't really mm-hmm. controlling the whole circus like like they would on a trumpet. Right. You had to do all these kind of weird hand motions. And and uh, the other thing I, I always told people was like the iwi and saxophone are like snow skiing and water skiing. Uh, with the saxophone, you're, you're taught to keep your fingers on the keys so there's no lost motion going with the tone hole. But with the iwi, you have to keep your fingers off the keys because when you touch the key, that's when it, it activates the note. And so it's sort of the difference between letting the boat do the work and laying back in the water and leaning forward when you're skiing on snow in the mountains.
1: Uh I like that analogy. That's very good. How how did you get started playing the sax and uh, everything else? (laughs)
3: It's (laughs) it's actually a funny story. Being at the end of the alphabet, the alto saxophone was the only thing left. (laughs) Everything else had been taken. And, uh, So, but it ended up, you know, as soon as all the sampling kind of took hold of things, uh, the two of the things that survived the best were the human voice and the saxophone, because there's so many nuances to them. You couldn't really, you know, kind of cookie cutter them or, or pigeonhole them. And so, you know, there was a time where lots of guys were losing work, but the things that I was able to do, I was able to get work. So, so that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that it did.
1: How did you get involved with the Hague Brothers?
3: Well, um, Joel Brovelite came down to see a really famous New York salsa band at Harris. And I was in the opening act, which was a big band led by Rick Swanson. Uh, before I got the Maynard gig, I was doing records for Chip Davis on American Gramophone, And it was Rick Swanson's band, Urban Surrender, that I was doing them with. And so Rick had a big band. We opened. Uh, Joel basically kind of came up and approached me and said, "Hey, we've we've got a jazz club uh, in Sioux Falls, uh, touch of Europe, and would you be willing to come up and play a Friday Saturday weekend using a rhythm section up here?" And I said, "Sure." And uh, so he, I think he and probably Jim Spears. Uh, arranged the rhythm section for me. It was guys that knew what they were doing, and Jeremy Hegg was the piano player they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from from the get-go, we were thick as thieves. You know, he's such a great guy. He's so full of laughter and humor and such an amazing musician, that, that entire Hegg family. Amazing, so easy, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they're so easy to work <laughs> with because they're all so talented. Yeah. Being able to, to do these amazing things on an instrument, is not a big deal because everyone else in the family can do it too so it makes them super humble and and easy to work with and and just a real joy and pleasure and and when i come up to sioux falls i I stay at john hegg's house at john and katie's house so really yeah you're like a
1: hundred yards from me then oh really yes right around the corner which way <laughs> i would be uh to this uh go across the street to the south and then that's yeah. all the block i'm on and they'll walk over to the west half a block and then walk south a couple of doors
3: wow that's amazing
1: yeah well next year i'm gonna know that <laughs> we'll, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. we'll have some holiday cheer
3: uh, absolutely i mean when <laughs> we do the tour you know we try and satellite as much as we can right. out of sioux falls so so for the most part, those that three weeks or a month, I'm I'm at uh, John and Katie's house right by you.
1: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Love it. Well, we will definitely be getting together that. No doubt about for that. Sure. Yeah, well, you can have a drink with Santa Claus, you know. Uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that time of year, it's a little busy. But we always make time for the Hag brothers, if nothing else, that is for sure. Because it is such a, a great uh, collaboration of, of so many different people. And, oh, yeah. you know, that's the one thing that we talk about on this show so often is that it's collaboration, not competition. Yeah.
0: And, and I think
1: that's one of the things I love about jazz, especially, uh, you know, uh, down at our wine bar. You know, uh, sure. I saw Ruben Rodriguez play bass for three different trios before it was the Ruben Rodriguez trio that was playing one night. Sure, And, sure, and sure, everybody sure. just and, and, you know. The improvisation that can come along with jazz is just so tremendous, and uh, I love that. When was the like? What age were you when you first got to improvise, playing the sax?
3: Well, the, as the funny story goes, when I started on alto in mm-hmm. fifth grade, the band director at one point uh, cut the entire concert band off and said, "Someone is playing on the rest. Who's playing on the rest?" And I raised my hand and he said, uh, why are you playing on the rest? And I said, cause I hear music going during the rest. No. And he went two things. One, a rest means don't play. So from now on, do not play. And number two, I can't wait to seventh grade to get you in jazz. band. <laughs> and so that was really, yeah. you know, seventh grade was really kind of where I started improvising, and uh-huh. started, you know, playing in the jazz band and, and uh and another kind of interesting thing is i bought the montrose summit albums there's a couple of right. them right and i love to listen to them in my room at home and read the liner notes and maynard was on those records and a lot of the liner notes were devoted to how much fun his band was having uh there in in switzerland uh at montrose and, and touring that summer and stuff and i just remember thinking. And that would be so great to play with Manu Ferguson and, <laughs> and get to tour around the world and see all these, meet all these people and play all these places and and uh, so fortunately it uh, it all you know met the plan for me.
1: Yeah, it uh, worked out extremely well. Uh, yeah. I want to know how you did so many things in college. You know, a political science degree and student body president. Serving on the regents and so forth. And then out of this comes Mr. Music.
3: Well, you know, it, it, uh, I always kind of had a lot on my plate back in those days. Uh-huh. So I think, you know, to some degree, it's sort of the, uh, you know, Idle Hands, uh, Devil's Workshop. So it kept me on the straight and narrow that I was always had something going on and was busy. Uh, I was in a fraternity too. So that had its own, uh, things going on and uh, I I had fun in college I you know it uh, the Board of Regents thing was pretty eye-opening because really I was thinking about a potential political career and after seeing how that kind of stuff goes i went, there's yeah. no way I'm no way I'm gonna <laughs> do that you know popularity contest every two or four years right. and, and the really disappointing thing was watching people, not vote for the thing that was right, but voting against, against someone who right. voted against them. Yeah. You know, uh, so I quickly realized that that was not going to be for me. And and really at that point, I suppose I could have dropped out of college. Uh, but I was close enough to the degree. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, got to finish what I started. Exactly. So,
1: yeah. Uh, you play in, what, a dozen different bands in Omaha?
3: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Is there a night of the week you ever take off? (laughs) (laughs) I I take them when I can get them, that's for sure. But it's, (laughs) you know, with lots of irons in the fire, there's always something cooking. Somebody's got something going on. And and so I'm not just, you know, with one thing going on, waiting for that one thing to happen. And it also kind of creates a good work environment because it's a different thing every day. Um, You know, so. It kind of keeps you on your toes. And I actually, uh, I've got I'm playing at the Steel House uh, tomorrow, or actually Thursday,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, which is the new venue um, in Omaha that's, that's really nice. It's more of a stand up, it's much less of a theater, but it'll really be the first time I'm in that room. So I'm preparing for that gig. And then uh, I actually have played with Ruben that you mentioned with Chris Lager, right. And I'm playing the Benson Theater with, with Chris Lager Saturday. So I was kinda of going through some of that music today. And when summertime hits and you're doing nine or ten gigs a week, anytime you get a day off, all you're doing is prepping for the next five mm, or six yeah. shows, trying to keep your head above water and, and making sure that I know what, what I need to do.
1: You know. And so how often do you practice? <laughs> You
3: know, I don't really practice that much. It's uh, I look. It's mostly looking through and reading music to prep that stuff. I mean, I'm at the point where, uh, you know, I've I've probably put in twenty thousand hours of practice already. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is behind me. And the one thing that I always tell the kids, which is something that I did, was. I always make sure there's certain things you got to do. You got to work on your reading. You got to work on your sound. You got to work on your improvisation. If you're a jazz guy, you got to work on different instruments. If you're doubling and stuff. But the one thing that I always tell the students is if you practice for an hour, make sure that at least the last 10 minutes are something fun. It doesn't have to be any particular Put on some music that you like mm-hmm. and just jam with it. Try and try and find some space within that. Because I think that was kind of the secret to my success is it's always been fun. Right. It's, I've never looked at it as, as a job, you know, and I don't play with bands that, that really aren't up on the same kind of a level, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't, and I don't, you know, the other thing is people around here, just like people from Sioux Falls, generally their attitudes are really good. So you don't run into troublemakers or problem makers, you know, so
1: prima donnas.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, it just, it makes it a lot more fun and kind of like the Heg thing. It's, it turns into more of a family deal uh, and not a bunch of coworkers. There's, right. You know, no. there's actually a closeness and, you know, a bond in the band and, you know, so. What made it's you good. fall
1: in love with jazz?
3: You know, I, I got pulled into a practice room. When I was a sophomore at Westside High School by my drummer at the time Bill Bollmeyer, who was my college drummer and actually was the drummer when I opened for Maynard uh and he he goes, "You got to check this out and he put on uh Chick Korea Humpty Dumpty oh. and to this day it's it's still my favorite straight ahead jazz piece and the playing on it is so amazing I mean it's it's not they're not even from this planet those guys and, <laughs> And it just, it took me by storm, you know, when I was 16 and at 62, it still has the same effect on me. It's uh, just one of my all-time favorites. And then Chick Rhea actually played on Manners' band. uh, And so I get, you know, I didn't know that at the time, but there, you know, we did a bunch of dates with them. I got to play with them and stuff. So it was cool. All right. Who's the saxophone idol? (sighs) Well, it's I think for most tenor players, it's it's always Train and Brecker. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Steve Grossman a lot. Um, I definitely, you know, um, Joe Henderson is is one of the tenor titans for sure. Um, I, yeah, I would say that that group has always had kind of an effect on I me. And I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but those those are the ones that come to mind.
1: Yeah. Well, we we certainly are glad that uh, you. Decided that uh, the saxophone was better than
3: politics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was an easy decision.
1: It's a a much more pleasant time uh, enjoying watching you on stage that way. (laughs) Exactly,
3: exactly. (laughs)
1: All right, Matt, it's been great, but uh, we always end with a couple of questions. Uh, And the first, uh, depending upon how you answer that, might determine whether we have to answer a second one. But the first question Mm -hmm. is, when you're not part of the arts and entertainment scene and playing and so forth, what do you like to be entertained by?
3: You know, I, I'm probably like most people. Uh, going to the movies is always a good escape, mm-hmm. kind of a chance to reflect, maybe learn something, check out something that's, you know, that you don't know about. And another thing I found is, you know, when we played the Blue Note, Maynard had all kinds of actors that would come out. And I realized at some point that they would come out to see us Recharge the battery just like we would when we went to theater to see them. So I think there's there's something to be said about those things, kind of those two disciplines sort of being closely related.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, and any hobbies? Not really. No time for them, right?
3: Kind of not. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if when you play a bunch of different instruments, if you got time, you probably should be picking one of those up. <laughs> to make sure you know what you're doing with it you know
1: yeah all right well matt wallace it's been a pleasure thank you so much uh for taking time to be on the dave holly hour and look forward to seeing you the next time you're in sioux falls or if not i'm sure i'll find you in omaha sometime
3: thanks dave appreciate all right. it
1: yes. take care uh, yep chum. and we'll be back with more of the dave holly hour in just a moment.
2: Check out the new Ceramics Studio in Sioux Falls, conveniently located off Kiwanis Avenue on 5th Street. TJS Ceramics, inside Oscars Mini Storage. Bisque, studio time, painting parties, and finished items are available. Visit TJS Ceramics Studio in Sioux Falls today.
3: He's a bit flirtatious,
2: but most of all, fun. Once again, here's Dave Holly.
1: Thanks again to my great guests, Coleman Peterson and Matt Wallace. As always, the biggest thank you goes to each of you that listen, download, share, and follow. Now, if you haven't so far, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Besides information about the show, you'll find out when Dave Holly Hour trivia is going on at Chasers. Now, for all 216 episodes, go online, davehollyhour.com. By the way, nice little search function on there. Now, today's guests, this is their first time of being on the show. But if you ever want to find out if one of your favorite artists has been on before, or you listen to somebody and say, I wonder what some of their other interviews have been like, use that search function to look up your favorite artists that have been on before listen to any of those previous episodes. As the Sioux Falls Arts Council says, together we art. As Art South Dakota says, home is where the art is. As I say, put some art in your heart. Remember, my name is Dave Holly, and for me, every day is a holiday. Day.
0: The Dave Holly Hour has been brought to you by TJS Ceramic Studio, Serendipity Studio Gallery and Gifts, Chasers Food and Spirits, XL Chiropractic, Quality Nails, Jesse Moffitt Entertainment, and the Sioux Falls Arts Council. If you would like to contribute to the continued success of this podcast, simply buy Dave a cup of coffee. Go to DaveHollyHour.com and click on the coffee cup icon. Don't forget to stay up to date on the show by following on Instagram and Facebook. The Dave Holly Hour is produced in the Dipsy Doodle Studios by Big D Entertainment.
3: Thanks for listening.